0: Welcome to the Yoga Liberty Podcast. My name is Angelica and welcome to episode 100. I am absolutely amazed, thrilled, and excited to be at episode 100. I really can't believe this is happening. (laughs) Who knew that I would get here? Um, but that just goes to show that with a lot of work and never giving up and lots of effort that you too could get to episode 100. Um, the podcast has gone through a lot of different incarnations and they say like you really don't get into your rhythm to you get to episode 100 and i feel like yeah like the longer i did this the more i started to realize what it was that i wanted to create and how i could best serve you on this platform so if you find value in this podcast in any of the episodes please do share them with other people and subscribe Uh, This podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and a lot more. So basically anywhere that you listen to podcasts, this is there. Uh, I have been remiss about YouTube, but I really should get better at YouTube. And I think, you know, I think that um, that's a really great idea. Maybe I will focus on making the Yoga Liberty YouTube really about the podcast because I um, have been doing the Yoga Liberty YouTube not really very, like, not consistently. (laughs) YouTubing is decidedly more work than podcasting and it's decidedly more work than um, doing Really, any other form, Uh, short form video isn't as much work because you can batch it. And so, by short form, I mean like TikTok, Instagram, and uh, YouTube Shorts, things like that. Because you know, it's just a couple minutes. Even though it might take you know an hour and a half to edit one TikTok, it's definitely a less work than a YouTube a full length YouTube video could be four, five, six hours of editing, uh, and then you have to have royalty free music, and there's a lot. There's just a lot to go into it. Uh, but the podcast is a little bit easier even for youtube so maybe that's what i'll do um not decided but definitely share this podcast with other people subscribe and um, follow the podcast so that we can be together and that i can offer you more value and definitely reach out to me if there's anything in particular that you would like to see or hear So to celebrate the 100th podcast episode, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I decided that what I wanted to do was to share with you on the podcast, my origin story how I became a yoga teacher. So in this podcast, in the last like 30 or so episodes, what I've been doing is sharing origin stories. And I am gonna change that up a little bit now that we've reached to episode 100. I'm definitely gonna continue to share origin stories of yoga teachers, what it was like before they became yoga teachers, why they became yoga teachers, who they studied with, and then now what they offer, what their life is like after. And my endeavor was to inspire you to know that you could be a yoga teacher And it really didn't matter whether you were, um, I'm just checking, making sure it's recording. It it really didn't matter what you look like, how tall you are, how thin you are, how heavy you are, what color you are, that where you came from, your background, it really didn't matter. Those things don't matter in order for you to become a yoga teacher. And that's what I really wanted to convey to you. In those origin stories episodes. So, as we move forward, I'm going to shift it up a little bit, but I will continue to share origin stories. And so, today I wanted to share with you my origin story, where I came from, and what my life was like before, why I decided to teach yoga, and who I studied with, and then now what I'm doing. So, this is it. This is the deep dive into the story of Angelica Govert, yoga teacher also known as Yoga Celebrity, which is ironic because no yoga teachers are celebrities. Uh, so my name is Angelica. I have been teaching yoga for almost 20 years now, since 2005. And it is 2023 when we are filming this episode. And I started doing yoga. I grew up on... Let's just go way back to the beginning. <laughs> Because I feel like a lot of you are going to resonate with this. So my mom was abused in her home as a child and she wanted to get out of there desperately. And back in the early 1970s, I was born in 1974, um, there wasn't a way out for women. She lived on a small farm in rural Indiana and there was not an option for her to get out of that situation really in a way that didn't involve a man. So she met my dad, and she got pregnant with me, and they got married, and she was 17 years old, and this was the easiest, fastest, quickest way for her to get out of her parents' home, and so she did that. And I think that, you know, a lot of you can resonate can resonate with this, but you, know, my mom was a lot of things, but I would never call her loving or caring, uh, and. She was very tortured throughout her whole life and she was very focused on herself and her own trauma. And so to me, like that really, it made her not a super great at being a mom and I forgive her. And I know that, uh, she had her own things that she was going through, but she was very abusive. Um, my dad left when he, when I was two years old and, I didn't meet him again until I was 19, and I actually looked him up on Microfiche. Like, if you remember what Microfiche is, I looked him up and found his phone number, and I called him, and that's how we connected. And I remember the first time that I saw him. Now, going through my childhood, I had suffered a lot with abuse. My mom, Um, married and divorced another man multiple times. He was an alcoholic. He was very abusive to her. And then she in turn was abusive to my sister and I. And this man that she married, he had uh, wonderful parents. His parents really became like my parents. My grandparents were really important to me in my life. And they helped to really form who I am and my work ethic and how I feel about the world and I'm so, and I'm so grateful to them. So it, it really, you know, blood doesn't necessarily matter, but her husband, he, um, not my dad, uh, my, my mom's new husband, I wouldn't say new now, but, uh, he, he just wasn't a very good person either. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't know. I guess that my grandparents were different when he was younger. I don't really know a lot about why he's like he is, but um, it wasn't a good experience. He cheated on my mom a lot. He We lived in a small town and so it was very embarrassing. And I think, you know, my mom was a person who was very, very creative, um, but she just never had that outlet. And I think there's a lot of women in that time period that didn't get to fully express themselves. And I feel like that's unfortunate and that's really sad, but it affects so many of us on a level now of like how we, you know, deal with our own lives and, and this generational trauma. So we, my mom was in and out of shelters and homelessness the whole time I was growing up. And so I was in turn was in and out of shelters and homelessness. We lived with family members. We lived with friends. We lived in bettered women's shelters and when i i moved out of i my mom and my mom and my stepdad divorced when i was a freshman in high school i think i would have been like 15 at that time and uh because she was so abusive but my my stepdad wasn't to me i wanted to go with him and not with her and so i went with him and we moved to cincinnati ohio for his job and he met someone else very quickly because that's the way people like that are and uh they didn't want to have anything to do with me and so they you know I was from another marriage and he didn't want to have anything to do with me and he became very abusive to me so when I was 17 years old I moved out on um it was around Thanksgiving time my birthday's around Thanksgiving and I moved out and moved in with a friend I got two jobs I was a junior in high school and I worked my way through high school to finish high school and then I worked my way through college and so we just dealt with a lot of poverty and a lot of trauma. And I really just was in this like function mode of just really wanting to get out of that situation, like whatever it took to not be poor anymore, to not struggle, to not be afraid what we were going to eat and when we were going to eat, you know, and to not have the the embarrassment of welfare cheese and peanut butter. And I just wanted... I desperately wanted out of that, and I, you know, I, you look at people like Tony Robbins and Oprah Winfrey, and these are also people that I really looked up to. Particularly, Oprah Winfrey was a huge role model for me growing up. I would watch every day at four o'clock. I would watch her show, and she really taught me about manifesting. She taught me about Wayne Dyer. She taught me about Ayanna Van Zandt. and she taught me about that my perspective could actually change my world. And that was huge and important. And it's been a pivotal part of me becoming a yoga teacher and has been an incredibly pivotal part of my life. So thankfully Oprah was around for all of us, uh, that went through the eighties and the nineties as children. And, um, so I moved out and did my own thing. I became emancipated and I worked my way through college. Well, When I was 19, I decided to contact my bio dad because I had not seen him since I was two years old. And I cannot explain to you the level of devastation that I had when I met him. Um, They had everything that I had wanted. His daughter and his son didn't even know that he had been married before. They didn't know that he had a child. He never told them about me their entire family just didn't talk about me at all as if I never existed. And that was crushing. It was emotionally absolutely crushing. And still to this day, we do not have a very good relationship. And there's a lot of parts and reasons for that. But this is the level of the emotions of abandonment were so strong that I really felt like, I could never, that relationship could never heal. Like I remember walking into his two-story house in the suburbs with their three bedrooms and seeing his daughter bedroom. I'll never forget like walking by and seeing his daughter's bedroom and she had that white furniture, you know, with the pink bedding and the white furniture that all the girls wanted of my age group. And I was like just, just devastated that all this time he was living in what I perceived to be luxury. And really now looking back, it was only financial luxury. They did have a lot of problems. um. But I'll tell you, and this sounds <laughs> uncaring, but if you grow up poor, <laughs> you would trade emotional burden for <laughs> poor burden any day. Um, having that like first chakra Fear of not knowing whether or not you're going to eat, not knowing whether or not you're going to be able to uh, have a, a place to sleep tonight. That kind of fear is so ingrained in you, and it rules the rest of your life in a way that no other kind of fear really can. Just the fear of self, like, you know, sometimes my mom was so vicious that there, you know, we would wonder if we were going to live like literally. And so, um, that kind of trauma just stays with you forever. And you know, it's interesting because, uh, Oprah and Tony Robbins, they both, and, and I would watch all these like really successful people. They would all go through that. Like they all had terrible childhoods that then led them to being really, um, helpful and successful adults. And so that gave me hope that that is what I could have. When I was 11 years old, my aunt gave me this little gift set called Get Fit Girl. And exercise and yoga, it had like a yoga mat with it. Now, I really, I remember it and I loved this, this set. And that became a central focus of my life. I got this book, um from the Shivananda Institute about yoga. And I started reading it and I started learning how to do the yoga poses. And I wouldn't say that I was like a really dedicated practitioner, but it definitely shaped me. I became a vegetarian at 11 years old after reading that book. It made it like safe for me to not eat animals, which I always felt like was cannibalistic. I always felt like eating animals was something that I really didn't want to do. It felt Uh, really wrong to me to eat the fear pain and suffering of animals and like immediately from a very young age and I did not like it and I did not want to do it and so that book helped me to uh, and also Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney were vegetarians but it helped me to like uh, be able to say like okay I don't want to eat meat and that's a normal thing there's nothing wrong with me for wanting that and so when I got to be in college I started to practice ashtanga yoga and uh there was a place called in the gaslight district in cincinnati called it's yoga and it was all ashtanga yoga and i would practice there and that was when i was really first exposed to structured like a structured type of yoga and so yoga and the philosophy of yoga became my sanctuary through a life of trauma and i wouldn't say that i was really dedicated to it in a in a physical way I've never been, like, except for when I first got certified to teach yoga, like the first 10 years that I was teaching yoga, I was very physical about it. But um, other than that, it's really been a journey of the mind and the spiritual and the philosophical part of yoga has been the most important part. The meditation has been the most important part of my journey through yoga. And I think that's why when I teach now, it's really important for me to tell people that you don't have to be really good at asana to teach yoga because I've successfully taught yoga for a long time and I've really enjoyed it and it's transformed my life and made my life very like really wonderful and I there have been times that my asana practice have been better than other times but I've never really been very flexible I wouldn't say I'm strong but not flexible not like some of the Instagram people so um, then I you know I desperately didn't want to be poor and I, when I first got out of college, I worked in a battered women's shelter. I got degrees in English literature and women's studies. And I worked at a battered women's shelter. And then I knew like, it was just too much for me emotionally to do that. And have that in my background. So I left there, I started working with schizophrenics and people with bipolar disorder who were moving out of the state mental hospital. And I did that for a while. And again, like, it just really wasn't for me. That kind of work wasn't for me. That work has never really been for me. Although I would say that I do a lot of that work now. (laughs) A lot of what I do is just listening to people who are going through their own traumas and they're working through their own life issues. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm a counselor, but I'm definitely an ear. And if you're a yoga teacher, you know that you're an ear for that And I don't think it's ethical to be a therapist or a counselor if you're not those things, but to listen to another human being and hear their problems and not respond with, this is what I would do, but instead saying what I hear you saying is, is an excellent skill set because most people just want to be heard. The answers are already within them. They already know what their own truth is and what they want. They don't need you to tell them. And so I've become very good at that. But I realized that working in the mental health sector and working in, with battered women, that just wasn't for me. It also didn't pay very well. I got out of college. I had $22,000 in debt, and um, I was making $8.75 an hour. Now, I had also at this time been working for The Limited. Back in the 90s, The Limited was the jam. It was like the place to work. You wanted to be there. You know, Leslie Wexner, Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works, Limited, all these things were huge. And, um, I was, I actually loved that job, but I felt guilty because it wasn't a professional job to work in retail. So I felt guilty working there, but finally it just got to the point that I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this other stuff. You know, like I don't, I don't want all this. So I decided to, um, go back into retail. And I got a job with a company called L'Occitane. It's a French company, shower gel, bubble bath, body lotion. I worked for them for eight years. I traveled all over the world with them. I moved up. I was promoted five or six times. Uh, Lived all over the country. Uh, Lived in Paris for a little bit. And I really got to see the world. uh, On my points that I got from, I would stay at... Um, the the Conrad in Istanbul. I went to Egypt. I traveled all up and down the Nile, went to Abu saw the pyramids of Giza, went to Italy, went to um, Spain. I traveled to Costa Rica. I traveled to Jamaica, the Bahamas. Uh, really, I just went all over the world and it was pretty incredible and it was pretty wonderful. And I think that I was really good at that job. And when I think looking back at my whole life, everything that has happened, happened for me. It didn't happen to me. It happened for me, for my soul's transformation on this planet so that I could then go out and help others. And so when I had this job at L'Occitane, I had an incredible boss. When I worked at, at the Limited, I had an incredible supervisor. Her name was Laura Woodward. She really taught me a lot about selling and how to be a great salesperson. And um, it really built me up because I was good at sales and I enjoyed sales and I enjoyed m- helping people feel good by, by, you know, like people put on the top, the bottom, the layering piece, the accessory, you know, and just putting the necklace on and saying, that makes that outfit. You look phenomenal. And really truly meaning it. Like I would not, like that's something that Laura taught me. She was like, only show people things that you really truly believe they look good in that. You know, don't lie to people. And um, you want sales that wear well. That's a Harry Friedman uh, philosophy. He's a sales expert. You want sales that wear well. You want people to go home and be like, I am so glad. I, every time I look at myself in this outfit, I'm so happy. And that has, I've through my career, through my whole life, that ideology has been a central focus of how I sell. And so I truly can't understand why people hate salespeople. I guess who you don't like is the people who are selling you sales that don't wear well, that you go home and be like, oh, why did I buy this? Like every time I go to a winery and come back with five bottles, why? I don't even really drink. So, anyhow, that's not how I sell. I want people to first of all, when they buy something that I sell, I want them to get in there and be like, "Oh my gosh, this is way more than I expected to get." I'm, I'm. This is whoa, like this is amazing. Like I want to over deliver in a massive way. And the other thing I want them to be like is, I am so glad and grateful that I did this. And I would say that I'm to the point in my career now where. I I haven't had anyone say that they have been unhappy with something they bought from me in a very long time. I know how to over deliver and I know how to treat people with absolute respect and to give them the very best experience. So, and to tailor that to each individual, which is why I do what I do now, the way I do it. And we'll talk about that later. I don't want to get too much into that right now, but, um, so anyhow, I, then I was working at L'Occitane. I left the, uh, working for the state, um, the state doing the moving people out of the mental hospital. And I'm working at L'Occitane and I started as a store manager in Cincinnati, Ohio, but you know, I'm naturally a type A ENTJ, incredibly driven person. If you know your Myers-Briggs, um, ENTJs are like, like Steve Jobs is an ENTJ, right? So we're just like this really driven, focused on the goal kind of people. And we want, we see a vision of making the world a better place. And, you know, I know that there are different ways to get there, but I want to facilitate everyone using their own way to get to this better place thing. It's like ideal world. These visionaries. I would bet you that Russell Brunson is an ENTJ. He might be an INTJ, but I'm a i I'm telling you, I, he's probably an ENTJ. <laughs> Russell Brunson is the founder of ClickFunnels, which is the software that I use. And I know that it gets a really bad rap, but it's actually really great software. Um and so and he's really inspiring and he's a really wonderful person. He's um you know I'm not I'm not a Mormon. He is a Mormon, but he's like very family oriented and he is he's uh, driven by his ideology of spirit which we have wildly different ideologies of that but i you know i respect that people can have a different idea about something and still be wonderful people Uh, and i just have always really looked up to him so anyhow back to my story so i start working for Luxitan. i'm a store manager in Cincinnati Ohio i take that store from being a d-level store to being a b-level store so it's making a ton of money And they're like, wow, she's good. So they moved me to another store that's struggling in Columbus, Ohio. And I turned that store into a money-making store. And they're like, oh, dang. So then they moved me out to Las Vegas, Nevada, which is a place I never thought I wanted to live. And now I'm obsessed with it. You can't, if you're watching on the, you can see that my shirt says, peace, love, Las Vegas. So, (laughs) um if you're listening you can't but if you're watching on spotify or on youtube you can see that my shirt says peace love las vegas i later in my story become obsessed with las vegas so uh <laughs> so i moved to las vegas i open at the las vegas north outlets the loxitan store there and i fall in love with las vegas i step off the plane i never even been here before when they moved me here i step off the plane. And it's funny because my grandma loved Las Vegas and I was at my grandma's house when they called me and told me I got this promotion. They were like, would you maybe consider, I know that you really love Ohio, but would you consider moving to Las Vegas? And I was like, hey, oh yes, I would. So <laughs> uh, two weeks later, that was August 1st. And on August 10th, I was on a plane and I landed in Las Vegas. I stepped out and I think like this might have to do with astro cartography, which is like the astrological lines things, because now I live in an area and my business was in an area that like lined up with my astro cartography. So maybe I just was always meant to go to Las Vegas. Who knows? But um, I stepped off the plane and was like, wow, this is why my whole life has sucked up into this point. Like I was meant to be here. So I fell in love with Las Vegas immediately immediately I fell in love with Las Vegas and so I opened this outlet store and it was just this build I had this incredible boss her name was Susan Hearn she's an amazing woman she just taught me so much about being a really good business person and how to run a business and how to run it optimally how to get high conversion rates how to mentor and manage staff to achieve greatness. And I got really good at that. And so I really wanted to be a district manager. And they told me, you know, there's no way you're ever going to be a district. You'll never, no one likes you. That's what they told me. No one likes you. You wouldn't be able to hang out in the hot tub with everyone. And that was crushing. But I learned that Life isn't actually, you know, like promotions and stuff. These things aren't given to us on merit. And if we keep wanting to be like, oh, you should get this because you're the best at it, which is what I ideologically thought, the reality is, is that's not how human emotion works. Human emotion works in such a way that we judge and we want to be around people that we like. You know, and even after I opened a yoga studio, I most certainly people would say, oh, you cherry pick people. I do. I do. I pick the people that I know are going to be on time. The people that I know are going to help my customers. The people I know aren't going to give me trouble. They have a key to my business that I worked my whole life to create. They have to be people that I trust with the key to my heart to, 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 treat my customers in a way that I want them to be treated. So yes. And that, you know, you have to be all the things if you want to succeed. You, you, and you have to get along with the person that holds the key to what you want to get into. So that was when I learned that lesson. (laughs) And, uh, I decided to get into what I called the hot tub club and that I was going to do whatever it took to get in there. And so I applied for every promotion that I could and I did everything. I changed everything about myself that I possibly could in order to move up to the next level. And, you know, some people poo-poo on that and, okay, that's great. Well, this is my life. I chose these things. You don't want to do this. You don't have to. Maybe there's a different way for you to get to success. This was my idea of success and this was how I was going to get there. And I would do, I would Lived, breathed, and died by L'Occitane. I would do everything for them. I missed every family holiday. I was the first one there after Christmas doing markdowns. I traveled more than any other district manager. I spent a lot of time with my staff. I was in the stores more than anyone else, and I worked harder than everyone else. And I still do that to this day. (laughs) That's just the ENTJ in me. So um, I'm up for this promotion, and I desperately want to work at in Las Vegas. I want to stay in Las Vegas. I fall in love with Las Vegas and I desperately want to work here. And I'm up for this promotion now. Everyone that works for me at the store in Las Vegas at the outlet store are people that I went into other stores and they gave me service and I said, "Hey, I would like you to come and work for me." I'm opening this new store and I would like you to come and work there. We'll pay you a little bit more. It's going to be a great working environment and you're going to be able to basically work outside, get out of the mall. It's going to be wonderful. And then this didn't happen on purpose because I didn't think about it this way. I was looking for the best salespeople that I enjoyed working with and every single person that I hired was not the same ethnicity as me. There was a wide variety of people and I'll tell you the reason why I did that had nothing to do with diversity in a way it had to do with the fact that I wanted every single customer that walked in that door to see somebody that looked like them because that's good sales is that if your customers walk in the door and they see someone if they see a black woman or an Asian woman or a Latino woman and they're like that's that looks like me they're more likely to buy your lotion they're more likely to come to your yoga studio Now I didn't do that by design because I wanted to have like an affirmative action thing going on. I did it because we're all different and to ignore that we're different is ridiculous and I don't think that a bunch of white women can sell to everyone. I don't think that's realistic either. Like I wanted everyone to be seen because I wanted to sell to everyone and also, it's just like that's the reality. Like we're not that really different. Like you know, like it's a. I don't know. I I think it just should be natural that of course there's all different kinds of customers, so there should be all different kinds of people working at your store. It just makes sense to me. Um, so I don't understand people that it doesn't make sense. But then we come back to this nepotism, right? That a lot of people their nepotism is more than other people. I'm not super strong in it, but uh, some people. They go way beyond that, you know, like they also only hire people that look like them or they only hire people that are less than them. I always tried to hire people who were better at their job than I was or had more experience than me because that meant I didn't have to manage them. I didn't have to be there. I didn't have to deal with them. I could go off and do and help another store that was struggling because those people already had their, themselves selves together. And I think there's a lot of people that manage out of ego. And you may be someone who's working for somebody that manages from ego. And I'm sorry, that is a bummer. That's awful. That's an awful work environment. And um, yeah, that's not how I like to manage things. So I'm up for this big promotion, and um, <laughs> someone calls corporate from my store and complains that I'm racist and it was one of the latino people and i had three latino people working at the store one was my assistant manager who was like we were like we called each other the sharks her name was melissa she was amazing she's an incredible salesperson and um she asked someone else at the store the person that turned me in i i I don't remember her name i want to say it was vanessa but i honestly don't remember this is like a very long time ago this like 25 years ago maybe even longer And, um, she said that Angelica makes funny faces at us, at me. She makes funny faces at me and it's because I'm Latino. And this other girl goes, Angelica just makes funny faces. Like I'm a very expressive person, which is actually why I'm good on camera. And I've done well on social media is because I'm very expressive. And, um, she was like, Angela just makes faces. And my assistant manager was like, that's not true. Like, why else? Why would she hire me? I am second in command. She took me out of the store that I was unhappy. And this, you know, like, this doesn't make sense. But because of that, because that woman complained to corporate that I, that any hint that I could possibly have been making a decision or treated somebody with a with racist mentality, even though I had gotten that woman out of another store and asked her to come and work for me. That cost me that promotion that I desperately wanted. And it changed the face of my life. It changed everything about the future. And I would say the next few years were very, very hard for me because of that woman's decision. Now, that being said, I think that everything happens for the reason that you make it. Not everything happens for a reason because it's all part of the flow, but you have to make the reason for it. And I do believe that the struggles that I went through in the future were necessary for where I am today. So I'm not angry about it, but it is something that I often wonder, what if that hadn't happened, and I had been able to get that promotion and been district manager in Las Vegas and been able to stay here this whole time? How would that have changed my life? Um, Because I was very happy here. And I was in the process of buying a house. And I ended up not being able to buy that house because of this decision. So it, you know, it, and I've never really, um, I don't own a house now. I did buy one in Miami later. But that was a mistake. We'll get to that story. (laughs) So anyhow, um, so I, a few months later, I do get promoted and I move to Phoenix, Arizona, and I have Arizona and Southern California, San Diego area as my district. And then um, we're there about six months and they call me up one day and they're like, your job is being eliminated and you're going to move to Boston. And I was like, oh, hell no. I'm, it's cold there. I'm not moving to Boston. And they were like, well, if you don't move to Boston, you won't have a job. And I said, okay, well, I'll just step down. There's a store manager position open in Scottsdale. And they're like, no, we don't want you to step down. You're overqualified for that. We want you to go to Boston. And I was like, I'm not going to Boston. So I guess I quit. So I guess on November 2nd, I no longer have a job. So I I mean I'm I'm not trying to hardball them. You know, I just really don't want to move to Boston. So a few days later they call me up and they said, "Okay, we're going to give you a $20,000 pay increase." And I was like, "I'll be in Boston. I'll see you there on November 2nd." So I moved to Boston. And But immediately upon getting to Boston, I actually find out that I'm going to be moving to Florida to take over that district and that they're moving the Florida person to California. It's all this like long puzzle thing. We have to go through all these steps. So I know this, but I can't tell anybody. And so for six months, I'm living in Boston unhappily. I hate it there. I was never happy in Boston. Sorry to anybody that's from the Northeast. It's just not my jam. It was cold. They put me in a basement apartment. The snow was higher than the windows. I could not see out. I went from living in Arizona to living in a basement. And um, I hated it. I hated, I hated the mentality on the East coast and I was very, very unhappy. And that started really like an unhappiness that kind of went on for the rest of the time that I worked for L'Occitane and then even after. So one of the things that I did when I was in Arizona though, is my job was very stressful. I ran a lot of stores for this company. And if you're in sales and you manage thousands of people, you know that it is um, a lot of work. And it's a lot, it's very stressful and there's a lot that you have to do and you're exhausted all the time. And so I started going to this yoga studio in Arizona called At One Yoga owned by one of the people that owns Spiritual Gangsters. And there was like four owners. And I went to the studio and I was like, whoa, I know that looks great. Cause I had been wanting to open my own business and I was like, I really want to have my own business. And so I was like, um, Wow, I'm just looking to see like how long we've been recording. <laughs> a, a minute, a hot minute. So I really wanted to open my own business. And so I saw this yoga studio in Arizona called At One Yoga. And I'm like, wow, this is something I could do. Like it's low low barrier to entry. You need a floor. You need some walls. Uh, maybe not even walls. I didn't have walls in my studio. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of retail. And then a few options for packages and a really good intake process. And, you know, you could make good money doing this. And so I decided that at that, when I saw that, I decided that I wanted to open a yoga studio. Like I was going through a a tough time with L'Occitane. I wasn't really super happy there anymore in the way that I used to be. I wasn't unhappy because I'm not an unhappy person ever, but I wasn't as happy as I had been. And so, um, I decided I wanted to open a yoga studio at that point and that was when I really started to do research about it and started to do research about yoga teacher training. So I'm in Boston and I know I'm going to leave to Florida. The six months go by. I moved to Florida, but they have me running New England and Florida, Louisiana, Georgia all at the same time. So I'm flying back and forth running 22 stores for this company and it was just exhausting and overwhelming and I was good at it. And I had massive increases and I did really well. But I hated Florida. um, Because I lived in Miami. I would say that, you know, I, lo- I love St. Petersburg. I like Tampa. Um, Naples is nice. The Keys are amazing. I recently in my life have lived on a sailboat and we did spend some time in the Florida Keys. It was amazing. It was amazing. I love Florida. And, um... For that, but I didn't like living in Miami. Miami's very cutthroat. I, I think that honestly, I'm just not a big city person, and I didn't realize that most of my life. And so, but I'm an opportunity person, and big cities bring opportunities. Thank God for the internet so that now I can have opportunities anywhere I want to go. Um, so, in 2008, there was a massive re- recession, and I lose my job. But I had recently gotten certified to teach yoga. my my realtor, his boyfriend was like, Hey, Marius. I love Marius. Marius was like, Hey, let's go to yoga at this studio down the street from my house. And while I'm there, I meet this woman and she's one of the studio owners. And she's like, I'm having a yoga teacher training. Well, I didn't know anything about yoga teacher training. I didn't know. I didn't know about yoga Alliance or any of that. I just knew she was having a yoga training. And I decided that I wanted to get trained to be a yoga teacher. And so I wrote her a check. And for 10 weekends, I ran 22 stores for 10 weeks. I ran 22 stores across six states, flying sometimes twice a day, while at the same time getting my yoga certification all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and Monday nights for 10 weeks. It might have been 12 weeks. It was a long time. So when people say to me, I'm too busy to take yoga teacher training, I'm like, are you? Or do you just not want it enough? Because if you want it enough, you're going to do it because I really wanted it. So luckily, I had gotten certified to teach yoga. And what happened is like, even though I chose, I wasn't making the choice to become full-time yoga teacher, Universe chose for me. And I feel like Universe has made a lot of choices for me since I left L'Occitane Uh, I listen to them because it makes the best choices for me. I don't make the good choices necessarily. The universe makes better choices for me than I make for myself. So I just kind of go with If you read that book, The Alchemist by Paul Coelho, that book changed my life. And if you haven't read the book, The Alchemist, get a copy of it immediately because the universe will start conspiring for you once you recognize it. So uh, I'm living in Miami and... Now, when I worked for L'Occitane, I was making $150,000 a year. I was making good money. And I had a condo on the water in Miami. But teaching yoga, uh, I was actually pretty quickly able to make it up to about $55,000 a year. Not right away. Like at first, I was teaching on the beach, and it would cost me more money in gas. Gas at that time was $4 a gallon, much like it is now. And so that's, you know, hope that it might go down again. But... (laughs) I would get paid $5 a class to go teach this class on the beach and I would really only net a dollar because it was $4 in gas to get there and back. And I did that for a while, <laughs> but then luckily the person who had done the teacher training that I took in Miami, I got certified at what that time was Shores yoga. It's now 305 yoga. I'm not even sure if they're open anymore or not. I don't, I think that she still teaches yoga. Uh, She started an organization called Yoga Gangsters and then she did one called Conscious Collective. And she actually, her name is Terry Cooper. She actually taught me a lot about how to run a yoga business. And so for that, I'll always be grateful to her for that. And uh, we have not stayed in touch. We did for a while, but, um, you know, that's another long story that I'm not going to go into, but, um, she's a real revolutionary kind of like mover and shaker down there in the Miami area and built yoga up in a big way there. And she taught me a lot and I'm forever grateful for that. So uh, she helped me get this job at Gulliver Preparatory teaching yoga to high school students. And so I did that for a couple of years and I was making about 55,000 a year doing that uh, and com- combined with what I made at teaching at the studio. And then I also worked nights at a company called Lucy a retail company and I worked on the weekends there and uh, they did uh, yoga clothing and exercise clothing and stuff they're not open anymore they were bought out by VF and then VF put them under and it, it's really kind of sad because honestly they had the best clothing and it was founded by these two women they have by far the best quality clothing that I've ever found and for hiking they had really attractive clothing for women And you just can't find clothing that attractive anymore for hiking. It's like Columbia just like, uh, like, I don't want to look like a man. I want to look like a woman. But that's a whole nother thing. So anyhow, (laughs) so I'm working basically nonstop. And I had been dating this guy who cheated on me and then acted like I wasn't dating him. And it was devastating to me. And I was very devastated. And at that time, I had never really had relationships because I gave up having relationships to work for L'Occitane. That job was my boyfriend. We would make this joke about the fragrance merchant at Christmas was all of our boyfriend. We had like a cutout and He's like, this is our boyfriend. This is all we have. This is all we have time for is the fragrance merchant. <laughs> so, but that truly what my life was my job. I was focused on moving up. I've been that way my whole life. And I would say workaholism is a reflection of my trauma. Because if I never stop working, I am never going to be poor and I'm never going to live the way that my mom and I lived. Right. So (laughs) trauma response anyhow, but I've, I know that now and I'm just okay with it. Like this is who I am. I like working. I like working a lot. I do town time. I definitely do more downtime than I used to do. But I actually enjoy working with people. I actually enjoy making a new website. I actually enjoy coming up with new programs. You know, like I, I, I like having a goal, and I'm okay with it. And so, if you, if you, if you two are an, a workaholic, if you're okay with it, it does. It's fine. It, you don't have to heal from something that you're okay with it. If it's not hurting anybody, you know. I don't know what it'll be like on my deathbed. I don't know if I'll be like, man, I wish that I hadn't done that. I don't know. Maybe I will be, who knows, but right now I'm okay with it. I'm almost 50. So I feel like I'm okay. I can make adult decisions for myself. (laughs) So uh, I'm working all these extra hours and I'm just not, I'm making a third of what I was making. And then this guy breaks up with me. He cheats on me and it just gets really nasty because I had never learned relationship skills and I would never date somebody like him now not even I wouldn't even give him a chance not even a second look but then I didn't have much of a self-esteem around those kinds of things you know and I think there's a lot of women that are like that we don't know that we have an option to choose especially when you come from trauma you don't know that you have an option to choose you don't have to be with that guy you don't have to be with any guy it's not that big of a deal I mean, it's nice to have somebody to do things with for sure, but it's not necessary. And the person I'm with now, like he actually likes me. What? It's a crazy thing. (laughs) So I decide that I really want to be the best yoga teacher that I can. And I want to move back to Las Vegas and I want to open a yoga studio and I want to name it Sin City Yoga. I just decided that's what I wanted. And I was going to do anything to make that happen. But I felt like I needed to learn from the very best in the industry. I would, and I, this is how I feel about everything. I only want advice from people who have what I want. So if they didn't have what I want, I wasn't going to, I'm not about that life. I don't care. So I wanted to study with the people that were teaching yoga at the level that I wanted to be teaching yoga. People like Sean Korn, Shiva Ray, Baron Baptiste, Doug Swenson, um, Sharon, Sharon Gannon, David Life, you know, like, um, Cameron Shane. So these are the people that I'm studying with, you know, the the founder of Wonderlust. Um, I can't remember her name. I just remember that she was Diana on Anne of Green Gables, like the old one. <laughs> uh, what is her name? Shuler, Shuler Grant, I think. Um, I'm studying with all these people and I'm learning from them how to teach yoga and I'm getting really good at it. Uh, Not right away. Um, When I, it took me, I had like a three-year learning curve, I would say solid, before I got to be a pretty good yoga teacher. So if you're struggling with that, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, it's fine. And so I, um, but I'm just getting worn down because it's so hard to work from like, I took an early bird class so I could make a couple extra thousand dollars a year. And I have to be there at 530 in the morning. I have to wake up really early and then I have to work at night at Aventura Mall at this Lucy store. And I just decide that I'm not getting anywhere. My boyfriend's beat me or the boyman, the boyfriend, um, he, uh, he left me for somebody else. And um, I'm just like, I'm beat down, right? I'm beat down. And I, I don't want to go on anymore. And I decide that I'm going to end it and I make a plan and it's a Sunday and I decide that's going to be my last day on this planet. And so I am working at Lucy and I get this phone call from a woman. I can't remember her name now. And she goes to the yoga studio that I teach at and she said, I didn't, you know, people don't really have a lot of cell phones then she had my phone number anyway. I don't even think I had a cell phone. And she calls, uh, she calls up my work and she says, Hey, Angelica, uh, you don't know me very well. I go to your yoga class, but I recently moved to Miami and my boyfriend is beating me up. I have nowhere to go. Do you have any plans tonight? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I'm I'm going to unalive myself tonight. So, uh, yeah, I have plans. And, um, she's like, I didn't say that. She's like, can I stay with you? And I was like, yes. (laughs) So I pick her up at the end of my shift. And that is why I'm alive today is because by the grace of God, that woman called my work and was like, I need a place to stay. And it got me out of the funk. And, um, she wasn't a really great guest, but you know, that's a lot, like when I worked at the Better Women's Shelter, that was very common there too, that people who are going through trauma cannot be there. They, they cannot be good people. They, they're in first chakra, they're in, in they're working it out. They can only be thinking about themselves. They are in a state of stress. And so I, I know that. And, um, but I did have to ask her to move out. So I decided to rent my place out in Miami as a last ditch effort to save it, which didn't work out because the people who moved in to my house, they ended up not paying and I ended up going into bankruptcy, but I had already moved to Las Vegas at that point. So I moved back to Las Vegas. I pack everything up in my car, throw everything else out, pack everything in my car, move out to Las Vegas and, um, I mean, my dog. Audrey Hepburn. She's a greyhound, a retired greyhound. We move out to Las Vegas. We meet up with a friend of mine who is also moving back to Vegas at the same time. Her name is Alicia. Alicia is one of the coolest people that I have ever met. She is one of the most caring, loving, incredible human beings that I have ever been lucky enough to call my friend. And we lived together for many years. And when I first moved here, I went started working at 24 Hour Fitness. And I just went up to the desk and was like, I need a job. Are you t- are you hiring teachers? And so I started working in 24 hour fitness and I started teaching yoga there. And I taught a lot of classes. I started teaching yoga to po- professional poker players and they started teaching me how to play poker. So I played low stakes poker, you know, we're like $200 buy-ins. And so I would make like a hundred, $200 a week doing that. Not a lot, not a lot, but enough to pay. My rent was $345. So I, my car was paid off and my car insurance, I dropped down to liability. So it was like 40 bucks a month. And so I did that for a few years. And every chance that I had, I told every single person that I met that I wanted to open a yoga studio. And I was like, I want to open a yoga studio and I need to find a place. And I looked at a lot of different places and it was expensive. It was expensive. They wanted $5,000 a month in rent or 5% of my gross revenue, you know, and it just, I knew that wasn't going to work out. And I didn't have that money and I was going through a bankruptcy. And I had $12,000 left in my retirement. Uh, I had lost most of that money. I had one of the dumber things that I did was um, I had $35,000 in credit card debt. So I paid off my credit cards with my retirement money. (sighs) That's a huge mistake because I ended up declaring bankruptcy later. So I would have still had that retirement money. But who knows maybe i would have just spent it on something else maybe i would have spent it on a yoga studio that was out of my range because if i'd had the money to invest in building a space i might have just built a space out in the beginning and what you don't realize when you start a business is that there's a very steep learning curve of learning how to attract people into your business how to manage people how to get people to work for you how to uh, build a business. And all of that has like a a really steep learning curve. And so um, I'm grateful that I got the start that I did. So I am at, I bought this Groupon basically. It was at that time it was called Living Social. I don't know if that company is uh, available anymore. I don't know if that's uh, a company anymore but that was like it was like Groupon it was like when that first thing came out and I bought one for wax so I'm getting my who waxed and because I'm a Vegas girl and uh, I'm telling this lady that's waxing me that I really want to open a yoga studio I'm like I really want to open a yoga studio and she said well in the back this was like a converted house and it had all these different businesses in the back is a Pilates studio that no one's using and we just use it for storage. Maybe the lady will rent it to you. And so I contacted the lady that owned it. Her name was Dolly. And I said, uh, you know, I'd like to rent this place. And she said, okay, cool. Like, not, not, she didn't say, okay, cool. I kind of had to talk her into it. She's like, I don't have good experience with yoga people. <laughs> She's, she, I guess she had been partners with Sherry Goldstein, who was pretty famous in the yoga circle in Las Vegas. Sherry owned like one of the biggest yoga studios here, but Sherry was very ruthless as a business person. And a lot of the yoga people in Las Vegas did not like her. I, I think now, you know, Vegas isn't known for that studio anymore, but at the time it really was. And, um, so that was really her only exposure to yoga people. I said, well, I'm nothing like that. And I am nothing like that. I'm a driven business person, but I'm not cutthroat like Sherry is. i really live by the eight limbs of yoga. So, um, yeah, just memories flooding back. So uh, the cool thing is she rents this place to me for $400 a month. Now I still actually don't have the $400, but I know that I can make that because I have been over three years time, two years time, over two years time, I moved here 2010 and I opened the studio in 2012. Um, I had been building an audience of people building a following. And every time I would teach a class, I would say, can I have your email address and phone number? Can I have your, you want to follow me on Facebook? At that time, Facebook was the thing, you know, it was, there was no Instagram then. And people would, and I would send an email every week. This is where I'm going to teach. I'm going to be at this place and this place and this place. So when I opened the studio, one of the coolest things I did was do a 90 for 90. So anybody on my list got 90 days of yoga for $90, which brought a huge cash infusion to my studio right away. At the same time, and this is why I'm telling you, read The Alchemist. I'm playing a poker game. Now remember, I'm a low stakes poker player. (laughs) And I get involved in this. And I was also kind of like a little bit of a scaredy cat poker player because I couldn't really afford to lose any money. So I get involved in this big hand at the Wynn Casino all around the same time. And I flop a straight. So if you know anything about Texas Hold'em, I flop a straight. And at that point, I'm looking at all the different possible combinations of hands, and I know that I have the nuts. I have the best hand. There's no anybody can beat me. Now, the river and the turn, the turn and the river have to come out. So there's possible that somebody could beat me. But um, I raise. Goes around the table, and somebody re-raises. And I was like, well, that's we're not gonna straight right now. I don't know what they could possibly have. I guess i can have a set, but my straight beats that. So the board could pair and then that would give them a full house and they would beat me and there's a flush draw. But I got the I got the nuts right now. I got the best hand. So it gets back to me and I got to protect my hand. I go all in. <laughs> I did not want to, but I did. Now I'd been playing for a while, so I had a little bit of money behind me. So <sighs> I go all in. I had like just over $500 behind me. So I go all in with that money. And every single person, 10 people sitting at that table, every single person calls me. The pot is $5,000 now. And it just rolls out. So it goes, the turn, no hand can beat me. The Oh, I just kicked the cameras. <laughs> it's going to get really uncomfortable sometimes when I'm just sitting here for a long time. So the turn comes out. No one can beat me. The river comes out. No one can beat me. I'm sitting there like, just looking over the board over and over again. Like, I, do I have the best hand? Do I have, I'm not trying to slow roll, but do I have the best hand? So all these other people are flipping. Ah, I got my two pair. I got my flush draw. I got my uh, set. There were, I think there were like two sets on that hand. And um, I just flipped my hand over. And everybody just about dies. I of the street. I flopped it. And I won this whole hand. I won $5,000. And I used that money to open my first yoga studio. So you never know where it's going to come from when you manifest. The world might just work together to make it happen for you. You never know. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> so I'm always grateful to the city of Las Vegas because it certainly made me who I am today and allowed me to live my dream. Uh, so I opened Sensity Yoga. And after about three years there, it just gets so big that people are going out the garage. And because you know, I'm in the garage in the converted garage, people are in the driveway, you know, I'll do anything to get more people in make more money, serve more p- clients, whatever it takes. So we moved to a larger location. We moved to Main Street, Las Vegas. And at that time, Main Street was really run down. It was like just old warehouses, old furniture stores, and really dilapidated. But there was a a chic craft cocktail bar across the street called the Velveteen Rabbit. And that's actually, if you ever visit Vegas, go to the Velveteen Rabbit. It's phenomenal, owned by sisters, Christina and um, Pamela Dilag. They're really amazing human beings. And that is probably my favorite bar in the planet, so it's directly across the street from my old yoga studio. So I uh, opened there, built it out. I got really lucky. I had a phenomenal landlord. Her name was Becky. She is an amazing human being. She helped to like get a grant so we could do redo the facades. So the facades looked great. Laid the floor myself. I did everything in the build out of the first side of that building on my own. Um, I picked that location because I eventually wanted to take over the second side, which I did that happened right before I sold it. And uh it's beautiful, it chandeliers in there, beautiful floor. A little parts of it are wonky, but it's fine. And um and I just I made it like that whole Miami vibe with the the white curtains and just really spartan and clean and beautiful. It's it's not like that now. Um the new owners have made it their own, which they should because that's what happens when you buy something. But, um, you know, my vision was a little different than theirs, but it, um, but it has a lot of the same vibe. And so in 2018, um, you know, I had 150 teachers working for me in rotation in between employees and independent contractors. And I had 10,000 clients coming in and out the door, not on a day, but in on the client roster, 6,000 square feet of practice space two rooms, uh, an office. I was about to make a third room into a uh, cycling room, um, but didn't do that, two bathrooms. And um, I decided to sell it because I always knew that that wasn't the only thing I wanted to do. Like I, again, I'm an ENTJ, so I wanted to do more. I wanted to do, I wanted to reach more people. I wanted to do more things, but I wanted to take a break. So for five years, I traveled in a camper and in my sailboat and really did a lot of traveling and a lot of soul searching and um, came back kind of a different person. And a few years ago, um, while I was still living on the road, I started doing online yoga teacher training. And that was something that before 2020 was not accepted by Yoga Alliance. And now it is. So my first incarnation of yoga teacher training, I did the like anybody can sign up go at your own pace kind of thing. And I, um, really didn't like that because people aren't successful at it. Um, there's a very popular online yoga teacher. There's a couple of them that are like that, that are just like, go at your own pace. Those are very unsuccessful. They are very cheap, inexpensive. I wouldn't say that the curriculum is bad from what I've bought a couple of them to see what they, they, they did and their curriculum was pretty good, but you get lost immediately and if there's no one holding your hand and no one holding you accountable people don't succeed. So out of the 18 people that signed up for the first one, I think like two or three made it through in the beginning and the rest of them um didn't make it. When I decided to do online yoga teacher training again at the beginning of 2022, 2022. Yep, 2022. Yeah, because we started in 2021. Actually, I started the business in 2020, but we started doing the online yoga teacher training in 2021. So in 2022, I did it on my own. I went out on my own. I'd had I had been doing it with two other women, and um, went out on my own, and I decided to do it different. I went against the grain of what everyone said. All all the famous gurus of the online world were like, "Do not do one on one." do not do a timeline, do go at your own pace, do lifetime uh, access. And I was like, you guys, that's bullshit. Like really, like you're not doing lifetime access. You're you're going to keep offering this until you, like any of those programs that say lifetime access, that what that really means is as long as they're paying for that platform, you don't actually have lifetime access. And I just don't lie to my clients about it, <laughs> you know, and you don't need it. Because what I've found is that people sign up for the training, they finish the training, and then 9.5 out of 10 people never log back in another time after they finish. Because you move on to other things. You want to learn other things. You want to study with other teachers. You want to get more education. You want to read different books. You don't want to learn the same thing over and over again. And if you were in an in-person training, I've done uh, 30 in-person trainings now in three different countries. If you're in an in-person training, you're not going to, you're, you're not going to have lifetime access to that. <laughs> so, you know, I think the big thing at the studio for me, like it got to the point where I was just running the yoga teacher trainings and I didn't teach classes anymore because I was just too busy for that. And I had teachers who did that for me, which is the model I recommend for most people. But, um, that's, I just got really good at teaching yoga teacher training. And I also think that that just is my gift. It's like what I'm exceptional at is helping people become teachers. So when I switched to my new model of, of what I started in 2022 with in the yoga teacher trainings that I do now, the 200 hour, the 300 hour and the 500 hour, and now I'm launching a program this month of teaching people how to create their own yoga teacher trainings for their studios and, or just for themselves. And, um, I, I, that's, I'm exceptionally good at that. It's my, it's my gift. It's what I, I think I'm really good at creating great teachers. And I think that the people who have taken my training would agree with that. So, um, I do now one on one trainings for my teacher trainings. I meet with people every week and I help them to, uh, learn the, the information. So each week they get new contact content released to them. They watch the videos. And then at the end of their week, they, they complete the assignments. They read the books, they watch the videos. And then at the end of their week, we watch the videos that they have created for their practicum together on zoom. And we go over all of those, And I help you become like the very best teacher that you can be individually. And we focus on you as an individual. We focus on what it is that you want to create. And because of that, the training has been wildly successful. People do really, really well. Because first of all, no one's left behind. So if somebody learns in a different way than other people, they are not left behind Uh, We focus on the things they need to do. So if you need to spend a little bit more time on Surya Namaskar A or on Sanskrit, then we do that. Um, If you're wanting to focus, you know, in my 300 hour, everybody focuses on a niche. Some people, I have somebody doing chair yoga right now, somebody doing trapeze yoga. I just signed someone who does American Sign Language. That's so awesome. Uh, Somebody wanted to do yoga for cancer survivors, Um, you know, like... It's pretty incredible, actually. Uh, I get to, I get like the most amazing people are attracted to my training, and we really work together to make their dreams happen. And I also do it in a very affordable way. It's not as much as my in person trainings are, and I do payment plans. And so I really work with people to make sure that they can get there. Now, that is not to say my program is not the cheapest. It is not. Uh, Yoga Renew and my vinyasa practice, those are the cheap ones, but you get what you pay for. You look and see how many people sign up for their program, then look and see how many people graduate from their program. And I'm not picking on them. They are good programs. I know I purchased them. They're not bad programs. They're just not set around individual success. And so for me, the way I look at it is, you know, I could buy a pair of yoga pants from say like Lorna Jane or You know, we could talk about Lululemon for a long time, but we have to agree that their pants last forever. I have Lululemon pants that I've had for 20 years. Or you can buy a cheap pair of pants from Old Navy and they're probably going to not look great next year. And they're not going to hold the body correctly. And they're going to be made with some kind of synthetic fiber that is going to stop your body from breathing. So, you know, do they do the same job? Yeah you can buy a cheap yoga teacher training it will do the same job will you get the result that you want no and and that's the thing i guess it depends on what your the result you want is is the result you want is a career a focus to actually make money as a yoga teacher to to thrive over time then take a, take a training that's going to focus more on you, like a training like mine, that might be a little bit more expensive, but it's going to actually get you the results that you want. So spend the money on the Lululemon pants. You'll still be wearing them in 20 years. Same with yoga teacher training, spend the money and you'll still be teaching yoga 20 years from now. Don't spend the money and you might not never graduate that program. That's just the reality of it. And I'm not trying to dog them. It just is what it is, you know, And there's definitely people that can take those trainings and be fine, that they're a small minority. More often than not, I have people who have taken those trainings who then come to me and are like, yeah, I never finished. Uh, So what I did with everyone who didn't finish the training from my first incarnation I was doing with the other women is I asked them to please come over and do my new training. And I didn't charge them additionally. I just said, you know, you already paid for that training. And I would just really, it would, it would feel right to me if you came over to my new training and you could give me feedback and give me a testimonial and let me know how it went. And so almost all of them did. Some of them didn't. I said, you know, I'm not going to be paying for the platform anymore after this date. So I'm going to need you to finish up. And some people did finish up and there was a few people that didn't. And, um, but for the most part, everybody got through. I think there were two people that did not Two, there was two people that did not finish up. Um, from that original training. Everyone else did. So I feel good about that. Um, and the thing that was crazy to me is that all of them said that they felt bad that they never finished. And all that time, I felt bad that they never finished. So we were like all in a in a feeling bad loop. Uh, so I'm glad that they feel good now. And um, a couple of them opened their own yoga studios, which is pretty incredible, like pretty amazing. Uh, and All the people that, um, you know, are doing it today, I've had six people open their own yoga studios. I have a few people that teach online, Um, a lot of people doing YouTube channels and, um, you know, it's pretty incredible and it's been an, an awesome experience. And so now I work entirely online. I teach online yoga teacher training, like I said, and I love it. And I think it's phenomenal. And I was really against online yoga teacher training, but my online students come out better than my in-person students because we focus on them individually. So if that's something that you wanna do, you wanna become a certified yoga teacher, definitely check out the link below in the description. And that's my story. That's the longest, that's long, the long version of my story. That's how I became a yoga teacher. I'm so grateful that you're here If you want to work with me, check out um, my websites, uh, www.yogateachertraining.yoga or www.angelicagovert.com. That's my name. The links to those will be below in the description. I appreciate you being here for the Yoga Liberty podcast. Uh, This has been a cool, this has been a cool episode. It's been really interesting to talk to you all so thank you for coming please do share this episode or any other episode with of the yoga liberty podcast that you enjoyed so that we can grow the podcast and reach more people if you would like to share your story on the yoga liberty podcast definitely get in touch with me and uh, maybe you'd be a great guest i don't know i don't know everybody that listens i don't get to see you that's the weird thing about teaching online is that i don't always get to see everyone but I'm glad that you're here and I'm grateful that we're doing this work together, fulfilling ourselves and helping to fulfill others. Uh, there's a lot more to my story. There's a lot more that I've done in the yoga part. Um, there's a lot more things that I helped to create and nonprofits and things like that. But I just felt like what I wanted to tell you today was really the story of what I did before, not my resume, but how my life changed because of teaching yoga. Again, thank you. My name is Angelica Govert. I appreciate you. Have a wonderful evening and take care of yourself. I'm going to go ahead and hit stop. Bye.